Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with Chase Cannon. And we are both attorneys with NFP's Benefits Compliance Team. And today we're going to discuss a trending topic, one that is, is definitely in the news, and it relates to employer vaccine mandates and vaccine incentives. So Chase, kind of give us, start with an overview of this. Yeah, so with the recent uptick in cases and the challenges associated with that COVID world, employers are more and more asking about what they can and cannot do with respect to vaccine mandates and vaccine incentives. Um, Some of this, of course, is really outside the benefits and compliance scope. We're going to be getting into some HR and employment law issues here. So a big disclaimer up front, employers that are wading into these questions really need to discuss their specific approach and ideas with outside counsel, get that direct legal advice they need to adopt a plan or an approach that best fits their population, thinking about their employees' workforce and their strategy and goals as an employer. Yeah, I think that disclaimer is important because we are only hitting on this at a high level and it certainly can be, it's quite, it's more complex than we're able to address in this podcast. But let's start with what I guess we could call the most extreme position and that would be a mandated vaccine. May an employer require their employees to be vaccinated before they show up to work? Yeah, the short answer is yes, they can. Um, The long answer is we're going to go a bit more into that. Uh, But the EEOC, that's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Um, basically the part of the government that enforces labor laws, they have indicated that employers may require employees to be vaccinated in order to come back to work. And employers have joined in this practice. We've seen, especially in the last month or so, an increase of big companies saying they're doing this. Those include uh, Facebook, Google, Disney, Walmart, Delta and United Airlines, and Tyson's Foods. So lots of employers across many different industries and workforce types are doing this. So it's possible, it's allowed, and it's catching on. But there are some um, things to consider here. And uh, there are really two big exceptions as far as types of employees the employers will have to work closely with. The first group of employees are those that have a disability or some type of medical condition that might limit their ability to take a vaccine. So for an example, if I have an allergic reaction or if I have some type of pre-existing condition and my doctor tells me uh, that condition could be exacerbated or that allergy could be exacerbated if I take the vaccine, then I have a legitimate reason to go to my employer and say, I cannot take that vaccine. Um, the second group of employees is, are, are those that have a sincerely held religious belief uh, that is opposed to vaccines. In that situation, I also have a legitimate reason to go to my employer and say, no, I cannot take the vaccine. Well, let's, so let's just start with that. What if, I mean, how is an employer to know that someone has such a disability, um, like an allergic reaction or a sincerely held religious belief? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, For the most part, employers will just have to rely on what their employee is telling them. And again, this gets a little bit back to the employer-employee relationship. How does an employer want to treat an employee? Do they really want to be you know, super inquisitive and questioning on this? We think the better approach is probably to give the employee 
the benefit of the doubt, let them drive the conversation. If they say they have a condition uh, that causes an allergic reaction to a vaccine, probably just go with that. Um, if they're expressing this opposition based on a religious belief, rather than really inquiring deeply and, and quizzing that employee, kind of take them for their word for it. But that said, the EEOC's guidance on this actually does say the employer can ask questions and even ask for medical verification or documentation like a doctor's note so that the employer can determine if the employee really does have a disability um, that needs to you know, have this deeper conversation about. Right. And, and that's really just taking a conservative approach when you're trying to avoid any potential uh, disagreement with the employees going forward. And right. so let's let's just start from, I guess, ground zero. You have an employee that comes to the employer that says, I have this disability uh, or I have a religious belief that's going to prevent me from getting the vaccine. What would be the employer's next steps? Yeah. So this is really where we're entering the world of HR and employment law. But the law at play here that's important to understand is, is the Americans with Disability Act or the ADA. And the ADA, just high level, says that you can't treat someone differently based on a disability. And the disability here is, think of it as the inability to get the vaccine, whether that's because of a religious belief or because of some medical condition or allergic reaction. So the ADA says the employer has to enter into a discussion once they know that that disability exists and they have to discuss what is called a reasonable accommodation for that employee. A reasonable accommodation is basically the employer offering or working with the employee to determine what can be done so that that employee can still perform their job in light of this disability. And so the classic example that you hear is, is someone who is paralyzed from the waist down, they're in a wheelchair, and they want to come work in the workplace. The ADA says, well, in order to accommodate that individual, the employer must build a wheelchair ramp for the employee to get in and out of the work building. Other examples that are a little bit, may, may not have heard of, uh, include a change to an office's no animals policy in order to welcome an employee's service animal. That's one you might not think of. Or an employer purchases software that magnifies the computer screen to allow an employee with low vision to correctly enter and read information on the computer. Yeah, those seem logical, but when you're trying to think of it from in a vaccine context, like what would be a reasonable accommodation when an employer is mandating a vaccine and the employee saying that they can't get that? It's a little bit harder to come up with or think of a reasonable accommodation in that context. Right. Yeah, the, the, the accommodation may feel a little bit more vague or, or uh, harder to achieve, but the EEOC does give some examples on this that um, make a little bit of sense. One example is a change to the work environment. So designating one-way aisles. Uh, we may have seen that in the grocery store, right? You can go one way down this aisle and then the next aisle is one way back. Um, so that's one. Uh, using plexiglass. Um, I saw this in my child's school uh, as we dropped them off for their first day of school today. Uh, plexiglass in between uh, dividing people. That's an example. Ta uh, using tables or other barriers to ensure minimum distances between customers and coworkers. So some of this we've seen out there in the world as we go to the grocery store or other places, these plexiglass separators, um, those are good examples here. It could include requiring the unvaccinated individual to wear a mask. And that one feels a little bit less comfortable, right? We don't wanna say mask mandates in our uh, charged environment here, but that's something the EEOC says actually could be a reasonable accommodation. Um, it could be a shift in the work schedule, having the employee work remotely 
working a different shift or coming in during less busy hours or working in a different and more sequestered part of the building. So those are a few examples of what the EEOC says could, could work as a, a, an accommodation in this situation. Right. And then, you know, for anything outside of that, certainly work with your attorneys to come up with those. Those are not the, just because the EEOC has given a list doesn't mean that they, that's all encompassing. There could be other reasonable accommodations for sure. Right. Um, did they speak to the type of documentation that an employer could request from an employee to prove that they're vaccinated? Is it going to be, you know, like the so-called vaccination passport or, or can they just rely on the employee's attestation? Yeah, so employers can always just rely on the employee's attestations. And we think that's probably a more solid approach than going forward further and requiring actual vaccination cards or passports for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, in most instances, unless the employer has reason to not believe the employee, the employer really is justified in relying on employees' attestations, having them sign something saying that, that they are vaccinated. Um, it's much easier to administratively you just have the employee sign that affidavit or attestation stating that they're vaccinated um, and, and they don't have to go further. They don't have to create sort of a new place to store all of that information. Um, but there's when it comes to vaccination cards or passports, um, there's a little bit more debate around that. Um, while you can do it, uh, there's you know privacy issues to consider when you're pulling in that information. And then administratively, how do you uh, make sure that that's uh, feasible for your HR team to collect all those? Well, let's let's hit on those privacy issues. Usually we're thinking of HIPAA when we're dealing with employers under employee benefits. That would not come into play if we're not talking about it from a group hand, a health plan perspective. But what about the confidentiality and the treatment of that information, of whether it be an attestation or it's a vaccine card, what is the employer supposed to do with that information? Yeah, so it, you're right, it's not a HIPAA privacy issue. We do get that question a lot and you would just explain why. So, but for, for, it, it is a sensitive uh, confidential piece of information. And so employers should ensure that any proof of vaccination is treated like me medical information. And the law that's in play there is again, the ADA. And that basically says this is sensitive uh, information that needs to be kept confidential and stored separately from employees personnel files. And so um, that, that could become a discussion for an employer's HR team. As I was saying, how will they store this info? Um, it should be separate from the employee's personnel or employment files. So it's not mixed with like annual review info, W-2 or I-9 info or records on training attendance. Those are all kind of personnel files that should be separate from that. Uh, perhaps a good analogy is leave information. If I ask my employee why they're away from work and they say or send an email saying it's because they're having surgery, that's medical information. It should be kept private. It's not hit by information, as you just explained. It's really in the employment context, uh, but it still should be kept private, protected, and separate from personnel files so that it meets that ADA and EEOC standard of confidentiality. Okay, so let's turn our attention away from the vaccine mandate and more towards other carrots or sticks to provide an incentive. One question we've heard from employers is whether their employee benefits plan, for example, could exclude hospitalizations um, due to COVID if the employees chose not to get vaccinated. Yeah, so this is a question that came in and um, there are some things employers can do and we'll get to those, but 
One thing that shouldn't be done is excluding hospitalization coverage or other treatment coverage for employees who have COVID and who are not vaccinated. This, this will likely be a violation of HIPAA. Uh, we often, and just mentioned HIPAA in the privacy and security context, right? But HIPAA also has some very strict non-discrimination rules that apply to any group health plan. And to be very specific, HIPAA prohibits discrimination based on a health factor, a disability, health status and health claims history. Uh, so choosing to exclude coverage for a specific condition such as COVID-19 illness or treatment, that would likely be a problem under these HIPAA non-discrimination rules. So we would recommend that a client really go with legal counsel if they're trying to uh, get a coverage exclusion like, like that. But at the at a high level, this is probably a bad idea under those HIPAA non-discrimination rules. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds like a straight up violation of that. Um, what about something that would require those that are not vaccinated to be tested for COVID on a regular basis, say like a couple of times a week? Yes, this is an EEOC um, uh, listed accommodation. Basically that, that EEOC guidance I mentioned that specifically states that requiring periodic testing is a reasonable accommodation for those who can't be vaccinated for medical or religious reasons. So. An employer can definitely choose to do that for people who simply choose not to get vaccinated or who express that opposition to it. Well, let's move now to the idea of incentives, because we've certainly heard that what, um, you know, either offering something like a cash reward or some other kind of incentive by the employer um, in order to get their employees to take the vaccine. Yeah, so uh, simple gift cards, cash incentives, these are mostly fine. They just need to be available to all employees that are similarly situated. Um, said, said another way, they make that reward available to all employees. Um, that way there's no chance that the DOL or EEOC would say that the employer is trying to treat certain employees uh, differently. So those are kind of standard. We, we've seen those quite a bit and, and they're allowed. Of course, they'd be taxable because uh, they're just cash or cash equivalents. Um, but yeah, fairly straightforward with that. What about something in connection with the group health plan, like a surcharge for unvaccinated employees? What do we think of like a smoker surcharge? Yes, very similar to a smoker surcharge. And we've had this question come up a lot. Um, and this is whether the vaccine is, uh, one concern anyway, is whether the vaccine itself, and this depends on how the employer administers it, but is that uh, incentive or the vaccine pr provision of the vaccine is its own group health plan? Um, so if I require vaccination and I administer it, then it's possible that I've created a group health plan. That's the concern. And that, that would mean ERISA, the ACA, COBRA, HIPAA, all those compliance obligations could potentially be in play. And that's especially true if the vaccine incentive or the, the administration of that vaccine is provided to those that are not already on the group health plan. Um, so you're expanding it to all employees um, if it's just those on the group health plan, then the plan itself is likely already, already complying with those laws. So it would just be kind of adding the incentive or adding the vaccine under the group health plan. Uh, but it is a concern because most employers are trying to do this for all employees, not just those on the group health plan. So that's something to consider. Also, I just mentioned under the ADA, uh, the ADA would apply if the employer is making inquiries as to the employee's vaccine status and then offering the vaccine or incentive directly, again, through like an onsite clinic or through a third party it hires, the guidance does say that those incentives cannot be so high as to be considered coercive. 
coercive. Okay, let's dig into that and unpack coercive for me. What does that mean? I know it's just just a term, right? Coercive. It can be so relative. Um, it's not all that helpful, but there's there's no dollar amount or percentage of premiums that are outlined by the DOL or the, the EEOC on this. It's just this idea that it cannot be so high as to force an employee's hand. So it's vague. It creates challenges and uh, is one reason that employers may steer away from that idea of uh, putting in a surcharge. But the ADA guidance does say that if the employer is just asking for a vaccine card or proof from a third party, like a pharmacy or public health agency, that coercive standard wouldn't apply, meaning the reward could be higher. So it really comes down to how the employer is asking for that information and how they're offering a vaccine. Uh, but get, get, either way though, things are still very vague and that creates insecurity when it comes to forming strategies around this. And again, another reason to talk to outside counsel. The biggest reason this is uh, becoming a challenge is that um, if you add that surcharge, you're now entering into another set of rules under HIPAA, um, the HIPAA wellness program rules. And um, this is still, some of these rules are still unresolved, a lot of gray and unclarity here. So we don't have an exact answer, but to help explain, remember that HIPAA says you can't treat someone differently based on a health factor or health status. Here that factor or status is vaccination status. I'm either vaxxed or I'm not vaxxed. You're treating those people differently. And so HIPAA says that would be discrimination. There's an exception that allows the discrimination if you're doing it through a wellness program. But these wellness program rules are very stringent. There's lots of requirements to be able to offer a wellness program. And the most challenging requirement is that there has to be a reasonable alternative standard for the unvaccinated. They have to have some other way to get that reward in that case that means there has to be some other way to avoid the surcharge. Um, so the other challenge here is the employer has to provide the reward. In other words, remove the surcharge if the employee meets the alternative standard at any point during the year. And so if an employer says, hey, we're gonna charge you a surcharge, this reasonable alternative standard is that you have to be tested uh, twice a month or you have to sit through a program about how awesome vaccines are or something like that and the employee does that later in the year, you now have to go back and reverse the surcharge, which can be very uh, challenging. Um, so uh, the last thing there is the employer also has to provide notice of that reasonable alternative in any plan materials that describe the program or the surcharge. So there's some really high administrative hurdles there and ones that employers might wanna think through uh, very deeply before implementing the vaccine surcharge. Yeah. So, and, and I'm glad you followed up with that because it's just to try to, to circle back as to how we're, what we're discussing at this point is providing an incentive that relates to the group health plan in the, in the form of a surcharge. So, right. um, and it, what is the government's interest in enforcing wellness program rules in general? I mean, it, you know, where's our interest come in on that? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been something that we've seen the government enforce and, and despite the lack of clarity. So, um, you know, before we had vaccine surcharges, we've had smoker surcharges and we've seen plenty of enforcement on those rules I just described with offering a reasonable alternative, with removing the surcharge for the full year, uh, with notice requirements and explaining the reasonable alternative to employees. And so uh, it's possible that the IRS or the DOL would choose not to enforce the rules surrounding COVID-19 vaccination wellness programs because there is kind of a public health interest there. 
seems like this is one instance where the employer's motives at least are trying to encourage healthy outcomes and trying to protect its workforce you know, via safe and healthy workspaces. But there have been no uh, public announcements from the DOL saying that, right? So we, we couldn't say for sure. We think probably the, uh, the DOL is still interested in enforcing the rules and making sure that uh, those standards are there for somebody who has a legitimate reason not to get vaccinated. So again, the best idea is really to go to outside counsel if the vaccine incentive is really something an employer wants to explore because there is a chance the DOL will enforce that. So it, yeah, it does seem like doing it through a group health plan surcharge is quite complex compared to, and, and if you think of it, your employee, you certainly are wanting to reach those employees that are not on the group health plan as well. So mm -hmm. if we look at something different, what about um, like taking time off to get the vaccine or recovering from the vaccination? Is that something that an employer is required to provide? Is is that an incentive they can provide? Yes, it could potentially be uh, required. Many employers' PTO policies have, you know, sort of been updated to allow for this. And so it's possible that, you know, as an employer, your PTO plan already provides enough to be able to take time off to go get the vaccine or recover from the vaccine. But there are also requirements here. Some states require paid time off for employees to get or recover from the vaccine if they have side effects, for example. Um, the usual suspects for state law there are California and New York. Uh, there are other states though, but we'll just leave it with those two because we don't want to go into a 50 state survey here. Uh, but you always have to concern yourself with leave laws with California and New York and some of those other uh, states. Um, at a federal level, while it doesn't require time off or payment for time off, uh, ARPA, which is the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, provides tax incentives for employers with fewer than 500 employees uh, that provide paid sick leave. So there's that sort of incentive there as well. Um, so that, you know, those mandates or those incentives could come into play for time off for vaccines as well. Lots of good information, Chase. And, and you know, we are just having to hit this at kind of a high level on a podcast, but it certainly gives a lot of nuggets for employers to consider and to dig in and more fully. Um, NFP is very good about putting out resources. Can you talk to us about the resources that we have in this context? Yeah, from an NFP, NFP perspective, we have uh, a white paper out there titled COVID-19 Vaccines. It's an FAQ document that's available on our latest insights page. We have a webinar that we've done recently uh, where we had some outside attorneys come in and address this issue. That's also available on nfp.com on our latest insights page. And um, we have addressed the vaccine incentive question specifically on our Compliance Corner website, which is also available through nfp.com. And I will put in a plug for the government here. The EEOC has an extremely helpful webpage uh, with an FAQ information on this. It's called What You Should Know About COVID-19, the ADA and Other EEO Laws. So if you want to just Google that EEOC, COVID-19, ADA, and FAQ, <laughs> that should get you to that page, which is also very helpful. Well, Chase, thank you for going over this. Obviously, with the Delta variant, um, we have certainly seen an uptick in interest in vaccine mandates and vaccine incentives. So hopefully this provided some good information for employers to get started on it. Um, and as we like to say on our Benefits Compliance Podcast, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining. 